Hello and welcome to our podcast, Inspiring Ideas. I am Madhu and my co-host is Abhinav Raji. We are lifelong learners and wanted to unearth the secret sauce of successful people across the globe and package it up to the community. We firmly believe each episode will inspire you to find your passion and follow your dreams. In the first episode, we have the co-founder of two startups, CEO of Distech and Geom.ai. Growing up being dyslexic and dysgraphic, he was passionate about creating efficient tools that can be used for early detection of the learning disability. He was a self-taught entrepreneur and an AI enthusiast who has worked on diverse AI projects and startups in France, UK and Australia. His distech has already gained support from the likes of Amazon and Dear Dyslexic. He has already appeared in nine news and numerous publications already. His only vision is to help one million kids. That's right, one million kids with dyslexia in 2020. Without further ado, let's welcome Hugo Richard. Hi Hugo, it's a pleasure to welcome you today. How are you? I'm good. Thank, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's good to chat with you. Yeah, awesome. So thanks for your time, mate. Uh, there's a beautiful word, word in Japanese called ikigai. Iki means life. Gai means the realization of hopes and expectations. So it's basically a meeting point of that which you are good at, that which you love, that which the world needs, and that which you can be paid for. You're so young and you have found your ikigai and achieved so much in your life. We are absolutely thrilled to have you in our show. And in the next 30 minutes, we will love to have your personal stories and the thoughts and ideas in your mind which led to actions that made the idea come to fruition. Let's jump into it. So Hugo, I would like to start the first question. I'd like to know from your personal dyslexic story, how and when was this identified and your thoughts behind this? Sure. Um, look, I, I'm one of the luckiest dyslexic. I think I've been, so I've been diagnosed with dyslexia when I was, I don't remember exactly if it's 11 or 12. Um, so I grew up in France and I, I did my, like my first half of life in France. I went to school in France. Um, so when I got diagnosed, um, after that, um, it's just, just nothing happened really. So I just went back to school and it was just back to normal. Um, it's just that we knew that, um, I needed to see a, a professional to actually learn how to read and write. So we did that for a while. Um, and then after that, I was just, I was just leaving normally. I was just not. I was not dyslexic in my mind and like the world around me was not labeling me as dyslexic. Um, so it's sort of, I just, you know, I just grew up um, as me without thinking that, you know, dyslexia may be causing a, a few, you know, problem at school and, and in, the learning, in my learning process. So it's weird. Like, you know, you could have people who are diagnosed and after that, they are labeled and then you know they're reminded every day and at school and and throughout their 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 life that they have dyslexia and that that dyslexia is causing xyz problem or difficulties so for me that wasn't the case it was just i got diagnosed 
I went and see a speech pathologist for two years to learn how to read and write. And, um, and that's it, you know, drop out of school. Um, and, and, and then, you know, way after that, uh, when I started sort of educating myself about dyslexia, then I realized, oh, that explained a lot of things about me. So yeah, that's, that's, that's basically my dyslexia journey, I would say. What are the challenges of identifying dyslexia? Yeah, well, look, um, it, it seems that, you know, if you simplify the problem of, of dyslexia, it seems that there's two problems. The first one is knowing that it's dyslexia, so assessing and, and, and diagnosing uh, the disorder. And obviously the second one is what, when you know, then ha- like how do you support, you know, those child or adult? Um, so, yeah, look, at, at the moment, you know, um, if you need to obtain proper support, you'll have to go through a, a proper um, diagnosis of dyslexia. And what that means is that you, you have to take an appointment with an educational psychologist. Um, and, you know, you're probably going to wait maybe, you know, six months, a year before having a spot. Um, and it's going to cost you a lot of money. Um, now, what we, what we, which, which is something that you need because, you know, uh, um, they are providing uh, a fair amount of information after the diagnosis, which, which can then be used to understand where and how to support that child. Um, but um, the thing is that, you know, it's quite expensive and, and like, and if it's not dyslexia, then you, you spend all that time and all that money for maybe something that's not right. So the idea was to, you know, maybe, maybe we could use technology to, um, you know, to, to facilitate sort of screening, not having a proper diagnosis because it's quite hard to replicate for a machine, but at least having something that can tell you which is reliable whether or not um, it is dyslexia. You know, it could be, like if, if a child has problem reading, it could be plenty of different things. It could be, you know, vision impairment. It could be, it could even be hearing impairment and all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. But if yep. you could have something that, um, tell you that it is dyslexia, um, then, you know, your sort of half the battle is there. And so, yeah, the assessment process is quite long. And the reason for that um, is because there's a, it's basic economic, really. It's like you have a massive amount of people, adults and children with dyslexia, and you have a very tiny amount of educational psychologists. So what that means is that you have a, a very large demand for children being assessed. And what that means is that, you know, uh, psychologist is only one person. You can only see one child at the time. You can't have like a, a 10 child screening session, diagnosing session. So obviously those things takes a lot of time, cost a large amount of money. Um, so that's, that's sort of the problem that we, we try to tackle. Like, is there a way we can actually reduce the time that it takes, make something that's very accessible, that's very affordable, but as well as being very reliable. Excellent, Hugo. Thank you so much. I think listening to your story has been fantastic. Uh, Hugo, technology has uh, profoundly impacted the current human era. And we can't deny that. And we are all privileged to live in this time. Being an AI enthusiast myself, right, I can see what AI has done so far to the community and what it is capable of doing. With AI, ML, NLP being the buzzwords, more than 50 to 60% of the population talks about it daily. So I just wanted to dive deep and understand about two things. One, 
walk us through on how did you end up your interest in AI first? And then uh, what was your Eureka moment, which um, you, know, you felt that AI can actually help the problem of dyslexia and uh, the birth of this tech? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, that's crazy. I didn't even know that you know, 50 to 60% of the people were talking about AI daily. That's, that's quite impressive, to be honest. Um, look, um, I think uh, my interest in, in specifically in AI and, and that sort of scientific world um, came when I... So I've made a very first project that I've started back in, I think it was 2015, so five years ago. Um, was um, a project called Geom, and um, the idea was let's try and um, like make three D tour of property, right? And then you can um, like browse that three D property on your browser using WebGL and all that sort of thing. And that was a very manual job. So you know we managed to have a few clients, and and we were making all three D three D tour manually. Um, and and like at some point we've like with my co-founder, we've, we've, we've started to ask ourselves, well, is there a way we can automate that? Because obviously it's very work intensive. Um, and it, I think it was like sort of the start where you had like, where like CNN and computer vision started to, um, you know, sort of exploding in terms of, of that sort of thing. So we've, we sort of shifted or goal into, well, can we actually train a, an algorithm to learn, to recognize a 2D floor plan and to dynamically generate a 3D tour and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and so I think this is where I really started to understand how like this technology can really, really, and is and will be like really changing the world and society and how we technology and and how fast we progress in science and how basically every aspect of society really if you think about it um so yeah so uh, it was about five years ago that that i really sort of made the big jump into let's explore that further and let's see what what we can do with this um and and so um so my eureka moment um in regards to this tech so I, uh, what what happened with this tech is is kind of um, it's it's not a it's a sort of <laughs> bizarre story. So I um, one day um, Matthew, which is one of the co-founder of the company, made a joke about um, ha- having a, a computer helping kids with dyslexia, right? Um, and so he made the joke and then I was like, well, I took it seriously. I said, well, let's do something about this. Right. So we just, we've organized the meetings, sit down and just write on the ball, say, how can we make things happen? Like, how can we approach that? Um, and, um, and so that was about like four years ago. Um, and so we had this sort of project going on. It was like a rough idea. We didn't really know how to make it work. We didn't, we didn't know nothing about dyslexia. Um, and so it was sort of like, a, you know, when you're a kid and you have this like great idea and you're like, you just don't really know where to start and, and sort of that kind of thing. So that was this take at the time. Mm. Um, and so, but, but we were convinced though that AI would be able to play a role in, in helping children in education. Um, that's definitely, um, like we were convinced of that. And then, um, so then what happened is that, you know, we had um, a G- Jim and, and 
Jai joining the team and we sort of like started to educate ourselves about dyslexia, like what's going on with, mm. with the current like sort of uh, learning disorder. How is education reacting to it? Um, who, are, who are doing things like, who are people working in the field, like speech pathologists and things like that. Um, and so slowly but surely, we, we quickly understand that, well, we probably can't do anything yet for supporting children because it's very complex. Like if you want to teach a kid to learn how to read, it's very complex. There's many different layers of um, skills that the child needs to have. Yeah. And that is best done by, by a human, by, by a professional who know what they're doing. Mm. Um, but on the assessment side, you know, when you look at dyslexia, you could, you know, from an external point of view, like from a data scientist point of view, from a, you know, people who know, someone who know nothing about dyslexia, you could, you could say, well, you know, dyslexia is a learning disorder, which impacts the ability of reading. Um, and very basically, well, can we, can we collect audio recording of children with and without dyslexia? And can we just train an, an algorithm to recognize the difference? And, and if, and if we can, then that's a screening. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, so that's, that's how it started, uh, really. And, uh, I quite like yeah. the way you chunked it up and also understood uh, the current maturity level of, uh, AI in its current state today, which is absolutely important. That means we are hitting the, uh, quick wins and then also waiting for technology to develop, uh, when we are, uh, trying to be more strategic. That's a wonderful approach. Uh, congratulations on that, Hugo. I just wanted to uh, dwell deep on some of the two takeaways for the audience here. One, what would you recommend for people who want to get their feet wet on AI? And where do they start? It's, it seems to be an ocean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it really depends. Look, I'm not... Um, so, so I'm, not a, I'm not technical in AI. Like, I know some of the algorithm that are part of machine learning. Uh, and I know some of the algorithm that are part of NLP, um, but I'm not um, actually coding the function and, 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 and everything um, that, that we've got two, two professors on the team that, that do that. But um, I, I, I do understand, um, you know, the, the, like sort of the, the concept and how, how it works, like how, how do we need to prepare data and all that sort of thing. Um, and so obviously everything that I've learned on AI um, is on YouTube. Um, and one, I think one, um, one person that really influenced that knowledge to me was um, Andrew End. Mm. Uh, and he's got free courses online. He's a great orator. So he's, he's, um, he's really good at, um, you know, if you're not technical, he like watch what that guy is doing and you don't have to understand the mathematic behind. He would be able to like explain to you and sort of, um, you know, give you the, the core concept of what that thing is. Yep. Um, when you have that, like if you want to dive deep into technical, you know, there's plenty of courses online that you can follow and, and start looking at different type of algorithms and things like that. But I would say just go on YouTube and, and look as like there's plenty of video out there that can like introduce you to what AI is, what machine learning is, what's a neural network, how does it work, all that sort of thing. Mm. So just for the audience, we are talking about Andrew Ng. If you start uh, to Google him, I'm sure you'll see 
tons of courses from him and uh, that's that's what hugo is currently recommending us thank you hugo on that yeah the other aspect which is totally interesting is um, your ikigai moment again where you 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 wanted to be an entrepreneur you used the dyslexia as a platform and also your passion on ai to build on top of it so being a self taught entrepreneur yourself what were your initial challenges uh, when you started this journey you know mathematics around um, starting a mm. business and mm. uh, what are the current challenges and steps that you have overcome to achieve a 10x growth yeah yeah uh but look the first biggest challenges that i encountered was um on the very first startup that i've made um geom so in 2015 um the big mistake i've made was to um not tell everyone and i was i was scared that they would take the idea and you know i was like this is my baby we, we should not tell anyone la 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 um and what happened when you do that well what happened to me is that um like you think you have the correct idea but you don't and when you talk to people about it you get different feedback and different perspective and with those feedback and perspective you you then sort of shape it's like you know your idea is like a rough diamond and you need people to shape it towards something that you know that will work that like increase your chance of having of building something that um people want um so i think one of the biggest like mistake that i've made and challenge that i've encountered was not talking to people and not um just opening myself and say hey we're doing this this is how we do it um uh and and i i quickly realized that no one really care about you uh, you know until you start making money no one really care like you know like people with idea it's very easy to find um so don't be like for me i think you know not not being scared of just yeah just go and ask or actually if if you even want to go a step further just go and say that you have it right even if you don't and see how people like see what people tell you um and 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 so so yeah that was that was one of the biggest challenge um and and mentally it was quite hard as well like it was non-stop work and you know you sort of you sort of have just you and you making the decision you have no one else externally to sort of give you some fresh eyes on what you're doing mm-hmm. and you know i think my ratio of response when i when i start selling um the free tool was 800 to 1 so i was sending 800 email 800 phone call to receive one response <laughs> so and so um so yeah um i think you know talking to people getting people perspective on what you're doing and and feedback is very very um good to move forward how do you motivate um, yourself in this journey i mean when you're talking about sending out 800 emails uh, what was your thought process should i should i quit should i not quit should i should pursue what motivated you uh look um it's really it's a, it's a roller coaster it's like one month it's amazing you've made so much progress you think you're going to change the world and then like i'm going to quit nothing's working no one's replying to me um um so it's it's like you need sort of endurance uh to sort of don't like don't you know if you give up too early you may not see where you could have been successful um 
but the, the, I think what's hard is to make a difference um, between being persistent and being obsessed. Mm. So, you know, you need to be persistent, but at some point you need to be humble and, and really look at things objectively and say, well, I'm, I think I'm being obsessed and it's not going to work. Mm. So I either need to pivot and do something very different or I just need to just let go and, you know, and cry for a, a good day or two and say, this, is, this was not my baby. This is not going to work. Let's do something else. Mm. Um, and it, it could like it's hard to do um, so did you have any yeah. mentors to support you or coaches to help you out to achieve uh, the 10x growth and what is your uh, thinking around uh, people who are starting the journey of entrepreneurship yeah. I, I had no one but um, I must admit that I was watching some, um, some video on YouTube uh, I, was, I was learning I was just learning a lot on YouTube about you know startup um, you know, fundraising, marketing, SaaS, all that sort of thing. And um, one guy, he's a French guy who made a big difference in, in, in how I sort of approached entrepreneurship and startup was a guy called um, Usama Amar. Um, he's one co-founder of something called The Family in France. And um, he's very influential in Europe, um, in, in the startup world. And he, like, he influenced me a lot. Like when I was watching his video, he's doing like a one hour talk video on, um, you know, landing page. But it's just like the the way of how he's like his his idea and how he's he, he sort of so he's not my mentor because I like I think I've messaged him once or twice and we just had like two or three messages, um, but but he was sort of very influential for me in in how I think and how I approach um, you know startup and and decision making and and sort of vision and, and you know every, everything that I do really. Nice, nice. Thank you so much on that. No worries. So, so Hugo, you have worked in France, you've worked in UK, and then you migrated to Australia. Any specific challenges that you faced working in Australia that you would like to share with the audience? Uh, the, there's, actually, there's actually much less challenges to work in Australia than to work in the UK and in France. <laughs> so France um, work landscape is very, to me, is very toxic. There is a very large amount of legislation. It's very complicated. Um, the UK is extremely competitive and, and um, highly crowded uh, country with, you know, there's a lot of bright people out, out there and, and, um, and, and personally, I don't have a degree whatsoever. So um, like, you, you know, you have to really prove yourself. So it's very hard, you know, people who succeed without degree or things like that in the UK to me, um, like you really need to not give up and, 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 and keep going. Um, and Australia has been fantastic. I mean, look, you know, it's, it's a very young country. Uh, people are amazing. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's very easy going. Um, it seems that everyone is accessible, um, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, um, it seems to me that, um, it's, it's like the, the country is sort of open to new things. You know, they talk about AI, they talk about all sorts of different things. Um, and because they're so, it's such a young country, um, then you, you sort of have all those different opportunities that, that are opening to everyone, you know. Um, so, yeah, I guess Australia has been the less challenging country to work in, um, to be honest. And, I'm, and like 
Australia is home now to me. So, Hugo, in one of your interview, you said something so inspiring. You have a dream for helping one million kids. That's so fantastic. Final question: What message you would like to give to our audience to achieve their ikigai? Well, the first one is don't take what I say for granted. Like your story is yours, um, your mistake will be yours, and and um, we're all different. <laughs> um, but what I would say is, um, like to increase, I think your chance of success. You need to talk to as many people as you can about what you're doing, um, and you need to be able to judge. And it's hard, but to judge when you receive very good feedback and when you receive bad feedback, dismiss the bad feedback, and really take into account the, the good feedback and 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 like don't be like don't be scared to change your idea even if it's your baby um at the end of the day if you're if you're creating a startup then you you're creating something for the people you're not creating something for you so um you know li- listen uh like listen to people um that, that's what I would say. But again, you know, everyone's different. They'll have different sort of path. And, and um, but to me, I think talking and getting plenty of different point of view, plenty of different perspective um, is good because it, it make you see different type of people, how they react into what you're trying to do. And are they, you know, are they positive about it? Are they negative about it? Are they advising you to do something very specific or you know something broad um and that way you sort of get some sort of feedback you know and in that it's really easy i mean like you can make a facebook page for free in one day and you can just do a bit of photoshop or canva with making up a product and see if people sign up to your mailing list on mailchimp you know so yeah just try and and talk to people would be my advice Thank you.